The reading is from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let's pray. This is my beloved son, whom my soul delights. Listen to him. Lord, we pray that our hearts may be open to hear your son speaking through your spirit. And something of your glory may be revealed to us in Jesus. Open our hearts to your word. As you open your word to our hearts, we pray for his glory. Amen. Well, we uh, have got a picture here of a confirmation. Some of the people who were confirmed, 24 people who were confirmed last Monday. Among them, you can just make out Tim and Sue, either side of the bishop. And Tim has a crook right over his face there. I <laughs> uh, don't know whether he, uh, he's following that. There's Tim. You can see his face is uh, glowing, even though you can't see it fully. Uh, and also, you can see uh, there uh, Amy and Richard just to, to the, the right of the bishop. Um, it was an amazing time, really. Uh, it was a service that reminded us of how God has transformed people's lives. And it made Jesus real to them. One of the highlights for me was hearing the story, the testimony of a 21-year-old girl called Alara, who was quite shy, but she shared how she'd sort of always had a faith in God, but she'd wanted to know if there were any more than just believing in God. And she'd gone along to an Alpha course, run there in Longwell Green, where it was held, and she had begun to see that Jesus was actually a, a real person who could she, she could relate to in a way that 
was very personal. And that she said publicly um, that she'd found that she began to realize that God's love for her in Jesus was something that she could respond to her. And she said, I have come to know that Jesus loves me and that now I love him. And the whole place just cheered and clapped. It was just like, this is the, the breakthrough in somebody's life that makes all the difference. And that set the tone, really, for the whole service. It spoke to me very powerfully, personally, because that was very much uh, the experience of my journey when I was a bit younger than 21. That was before the days of Alpha, so I had no idea how uh, Jesus could ever be real to anybody because Alpha hadn't been invented. But somehow, by people talking to the people in my school who had discovered that for themselves, I began to see that this was something uh, more than just believing in God. And I too had come to know that this Jesus was somebody I could pray to personally and that I got to know him as I prayed to him and I began to believe in my heart and know in my soul that his love for me was real too. And that changed everything in my life also. And so it's very appropriate at the end of the confirmation service where these candidates had confirmed their love for God and God had confirmed his love for them that they would have a candle, holding a candle, a symbol that we will use very powerfully next Sunday in our Christingle service. Because you remember how St. Paul wrote, God who said, let light shine into, out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Christ. In the face, in the person, in the character, in the very being of Jesus Christ. That is where the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is to be found. So if you want to think about glory, we look primarily at the person of Jesus. For glory is another way of talking about the essence, the very truest nature of something. That's why we talk about holiness and glory in the very same breath. Because the nature of God is to be holy. The nature of God is to be pure. The nature of God is to be just. The nature of God is to be loving. And that is the nature of glory. God made his light shine into our hearts. And that's how we come to know Jesus. For it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, the sun, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory. It's a wonderful verse to remember. The sun, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. As we come toward Christmas, this is the last Sunday before Advent, as we begin to wait upon and watch for the coming of Jesus. And so we are beginning to think about 
how God's glory is revealed in Jesus. And so this morning, I want to, just in 10 minutes, look at some key aspects of the life of Jesus. Well, his birth, primarily, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his returning glory. Okay, 10 minutes. Don't hold me to it, please. I ask your forgiveness like Aidan sometimes asks. He's timing it now. He's putting his stopwatch on. Don't know where they... Anyway, we've got time. So, let me show you a picture, or let uh, Tim project a picture that I saw when I was on uh, our sabbatical in Florence in the Uffizi Gallery. I think of all the great masterpieces that I saw when I was away in Paris and in Prague and in Florence, this was my very favorite. I had no idea who the artist was, he's some Flemish artist, but I was captivated by this. And those words from St. John, we have beheld his glory, just is epitomized in this incredible painting. The love that is reflected in the face of Mary, the joy that stems from within those children, or are they angels? just worshipping this Christ child. There's something quite remarkable about what has been captured here. The light emanating from Jesus. For this is our God. He came down to earth from heaven. It's the next line. Who is God? and Lord of all. We sing along those Christmas carols, but my goodness, do we have some theology in those words. Who is God and Lord of all? This is the same Jesus who we see in these tiny little baby features. Wow. What does this tell us about God, the glory of God? It tells us, for example, that he is willing to be vulnerable. He is willing to be loved. He is open to our adoration. And he is with us. Emmanuel. God is with us in a way that we can approach. In a way that we can approach with love. As we do with a tiny newborn baby. Who is so hard that they can't take a little bundle of life in their arms, especially if it's one of your own family, and not feel filled with love deep within that shines out of your eyes? It is this love of God that elicits love in us. And so it is that God from his birth brings love into the world that in likes of which we've never seen before. The Word, says St. John again, became flesh, one of us, and dwelt among us, lived among us, full of grace and truth. So the life of God is now made real to us in Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we're looking at God made real. And indeed, when we are filled with God's life, as we are more and more alive to God in the world, 
we begin to reflect something of that glory. And you can all think of people, maybe one person, who you've known in your life, that when you see them and you see their life, you see something of Jesus. I hope we've all got one person who has been in our lives or is in our life that you feel when you're with them, there's something of Jesus there. It's a holy thing. For there is something about humanity that is capable of not en yeah, encompassing or enshrining or embodying something of the very life of God. In fact, the second century Saint, Saint Irenaeus said those memorable words, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's where God's glory, the more alive a person is, the more they reflect God. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. So in Jesus' life, a man who was fully alive was able to communicate that very nature of God. And he did all sorts of things that just reminded people that could only be God. You know, he healed Bartimaeus with the blind eyes. Only God can do this. How could Jesus do it, says the Pharisees. Only God could open the mind, eyes of, the mind, of a man born blind. They didn't quite get that this was actually God on earth. When Jesus turned that water into wine, you know, an abundance of Chateau Neuf de Pape, all to enjoy and you know, celebrate with. They didn't see that in this first miracle, Cana in Galilee, he first revealed his glory to the disciples, as John said in little subtexts. His glory of God is to be abundantly generous to make the ordinary come into the extraordinary. This is the nature of God revealed. That's why it says he revealed his glory. So Jesus is constantly revealing the glory of God in his life, his miracles, and in who he was. But there was one point, wasn't there? There was one point like no other where the disciples, or just three of them, glimpsed, well, more than glimpsed, I think, saw something of the nature of the glory of God. And that was up that mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's known now, that we heard that reading from Mark. And it's in the other synoptic Gospels too. In fact, Luke says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and it says in Mark to be alone. In Luke, it says to pray. And the two go together. There's a huge link between being alone and praying because there's a stillness that can be known in aloneness that is presence full. And as they were alive to God, praying, this revelation of who Jesus really was, that his very, very essence of his being was revealed, this light that was brighter than the sun just shined among them. 
It became so dazzling that they couldn't hardly see. It actually changed the whole way they thought. Peter didn't know what on earth to do. He said, so we start a building project, try and capture this moment in a church and just hold on to it, or in a, a little booth, as he put it then. But Jesus knew it wasn't meant to be held on to. It couldn't be contained, but it could be glimpsed. And that voice of God that came, listen to him. This is my beloved son, this who you can't see now because he's so radiant, so full of light. You can't see him, but that is who he really is. And he will return in glory and come into that place where he can only be seen by resurrected bodies with eyes that see beyond the human capability. They glimpsed his glory. And I wonder whether you and I know I have occasionally, very occasionally, glimpsed something of the glory of God in worship, in prayer, when you've been still or when you've been with other people and the music has just almost become a vehicle for transfiguring the way the Holy Spirit, the presence of God falls upon us. There's that intimacy, that, you know, you can hardly dare breathe because the weight of God's glory, as C.S. Lewis put it, is so heavy upon us. Don't move. It's an extraordinary thing. And when that happens, you sort of, oh, let's stay here forever. Let's be in this place always. But that doesn't happen, does it? Because we've got to move out into the world. But we move out into the world for our daily life and we are changed because we've encountered, or God has encountered us with his presence. And we know Jesus is alive and who he is. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And so Jesus went on living his life, revealing his Father's glory in the world. Disciples were amazed. They loved it. Except when he then started to talk about things that didn't really fit with our understanding of God and his glory. He started talking about the Son of Man being betrayed, handed into the hands of sinners. He started talking about his own suffering and his death. What is this? How can God die? And when that moment became obvious that it was going to happen, his, dis his disciples, they just couldn't cope with it anymore. They deserted him. They fled. They just left him. Can't cope with this Jesus who is God, revealing his glory, and now is going willingly, it seems, to die on the cross. And Grunwald, a German artist, portrays this most powerfully in this crucifixion scene. Here is Jesus naked. No pretty towels, of course, in those days. And yet in excruciating agony, still reveals his glory. St. John most particularly of all the writers of the Gospels, 
sees the cross as the place that supremely reveals the glory, the true nature, the very essence of God. Why? Because here is God suffering with a world that is continually suffering. Enters into our world, as Graham Kendrick put it, his glory veiled. We can't see it. And we certainly can't see it in suffering, but for those who can see that this is a God who doesn't remove himself from suffering, that comes into the pain of people in their lives and the terrible poverty and the abuse and the abandonment and the awful things that happen in our world, the torture that is there. This is God with us everywhere. This is the God moving into the ordinary and the extraordinary suffering of our world. And so, not just being abandoned to it, but being one who takes that suffering upon himself and absorbs it. This only can be God, able as the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to absorb our sin and our suffering and take it into death with him. No wonder John the Baptist, of course, who wasn't around at the time of the cross, but he's brought back by Grunwald to point at Jesus and say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at him. See his glory. Understand that in dying, he destroyed our death. And in rising, he restores our life. And so, on the third day, he rose again. And the glory of Easter is abundantly seen, even in nature, in the wonderful daffodils that are around to remind us of the new life and the bulbs and the color and the joy and celebration that that brings. The journey to life is complete. But always the journey of life is through death. And that is the path of discipleship. There is no avoiding that path. For St. Paul was able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live now by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it's no longer the I, the big selfish I, self-centered, everything for me, please. It's my needs, it's my situation that people need to worry about. That has to die put to death as we identify with Jesus on the cross and he comes and he takes that selfish nature and transforms it into a Christ-like nature and becomes the one through whom we find new life. The tomb is empty and the door is open and resurrection life becomes ours. And we are a people, as remember we said at the beginning of the whole series of what it means to be a church, we are people who are giving, who are living, and learning to live a resurrection life like Jesus. And so, the story of Jesus comes to its climax in the resurrection, but it goes further than that. And the last thing, after he ascended to heaven, he returns to glory, 
And there are more prophecies about Jesus coming again in the Bible than there were about him coming in the first place. Do you believe in Jesus' return? He will come again, says the creed, to judge the living and the dead with mercy and compassion, but with justice. He will come again, but not only to judge, but also to take us who have by faith been born again into that new life through death to be with him where he is. I will come again, said Jesus to his disciples before he died, and take you to be with me where I am. He reaches out to us. We reach up to him and we find ourselves held by the love of Jesus. It's no wonder the end of time, the whole earth will cry glory for the kingdom, the power and the glory are all his, all his, forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah.